you have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind welcome back to your all-time favorite podcast show this is stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast and i am one half of your uh loving and gracious hosts nick thacker i'm here with my good friend jay kevin tomlinson <laughs> you're one of the few people who still calls me that and i don't know why you call me that why where did you find out about that i think it was on your citadel books way back in the i day. think i think you're right i think when i when you and i first met i was because literally the, the way i was introduced to you sir jay kevin tomlinson <laughs> yeah yeah, I remember there being in a discussion early on, like you were having a conversation with your wife about calling me Kev, and she's like, why are you calling him Kev? And I think I must have referenced myself as Kev, and then you picked it up. Maybe. Maybe that's how he prefers me. I'm actually very flexible when it comes to I don't to remember that. much of our honeymoon phase, although I, I bet if we went back and watched from the outside, it would be pretty... Uh... Pretty hilarious, <laughs> some of the antics because it's like the feeling out. Like I don't want to call him something if he's going to be mad about it. And now I know, this is such I want. a weird thing. Yeah, there's no nothing I can do to make you not my friend anymore. There was never a point at which I said to myself, "I wonder if he would prefer I call him Nicholas." Not many people wonder that at all. <laughs> but I don't go try to pass off eight different names and initials as by name, like some That's people true. I know. I was going for something there with the J. Well, actually, I had been doing things under that. J. Kevin Tomlinson was like my professional name for for so many years. I just felt more authorly. Yeah, well, it, does, it does have that regalness to it. J. Tolkien. Yeah. And, and J.K. Rowling. I wrote under yeah. J.K. Tomlinson for a while yeah. oh, with this you. sort of secret hope that people would be like, oh, J.K., yeah, that's a Harry Potter <laughs> person. I don't know what this Tomlinson business is, but I'm going to buy the shit out of that book. Yeah, exactly. That I'm was the hope. I'm always trying to con people into buying my books. You should con me into something that's cool today. I should. Are we going with me first today? I'm fine. Uh, I forgot who. Yeah, well, why don't you take it? Take us away. Yeah, I think it's. Take, take this away. Maybe my turn. So to get to our something cool today, we both have to. We have to look at an article of coming from, of all places, Animation Magazine. And what we've got is a big old fibber, a big liar. Somebody, you know how you lie about your age? This is a, a lie about age because we've always thought, and the article opens this way, like we've always considered animation to be a modern invention. Like maybe back in the like, what, late 1800s or something. I don't remember when the zoetrope was created, but the idea of looking through a, a little window into an animated world, it's been around for a couple of centuries maybe, but we think that is the upper limit of its age, but turns out it could actually be a great deal older. And in fact, the evidence for that comes from a 15, 52 year old, 5,200 year old, sorry, 5,200 year old bowl <laughs> that was found in Iran's burnt city in the 1970s. Seems like there's some history there. There's a lot to this. And, I, and I'm not going to go into the entire like history of this thing, but I will say that initially what they, so this bulk, it, it contains a series of a goat that is, as you turn the bowl around, the goat is in different positions 
and ultimately it's eating leaves off of this tree and they originally they what they thought was that it was a depiction of the assyrian tree of life but they've now dated it archaeologists have dated it to be to predate assyrian civilization so that can't be it yet is it predates the uh, Assyrian civilization by a thousand years yeah so, so it was like about 15 years before the Assyrians popped yeah up. No, this is thousand years before now there's implications in that that I find interesting as well because if they thought it was the Assyrian tree of life this could hint at an origin to that story mm -hmm. that predates the culture itself that's exactly why finds this are very exciting but what's even more exciting is somebody recently realized I fairly recently realized that if you spun this bowl around like a zoetrope, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it animates that little goat hopping and you know hopping along until it gets to the leaves it wants to eat, and then it raises up and eats the leaves. There's a series of five images, and each of them is a, is sequential. So when you spin the bowl around, put it on a lazy susan or something, and spin that around, you can watch this goat. Do his thing and they've it's got a little too, animated man. gif of it where they yeah you know i'm watching they, that it's yeah cool. so and so now that what's intriguing about this is think of all the things that go into the just the philosophy and concept of animation right like we we take it for granted today like we got i got an application on my phone that can animate just about anything and what animation is that series of images? It actually is a representation of what we have come to realize is the way we are, our eyes and brain work. So we actually see everything around us in this way at a sort of frame rate. Okay? Yeah. So it's still images that we've spliced together. Yeah. In real and that's time. the origins of, you know, how film and television work, all that stuff. Uh, comes from this. If you pause anything, you're pausing on a frame. Those of us who do any kind of video editing, it's a series of frames. And it's the way our eyes work. Our eyes fill in the gaps. So as we, you can see this uh, really, you start to notice it more as you slow the frame rate down on video, for example. Film is generally like 25 frames per second. That gives it a different look. If you go below that, it starts to look staggered and stuttered. So think of pulsing, flashing, screenshots, and, and things like that. And then you get slow motion action and that sort of thing. This whole idea is it's how our eyes and brains work. The fact that somebody 5,000 plus years ago thought to do this on a piece of pottery is remarkable. It's remarkable because everything we've been told about history and, and even prehistory, it's getting into this kind of prehistoric era, is they were just surviving. Yeah. There, there was no room for art. That's why cave paintings are always miraculous. It's, oh my God, they had time to they had time to draw shit on the walls. They had time to decorate their house. <laughs> yeah. It always seems so fascinating because in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, animation isn't on the list. And so right. it's like one of those things where, okay, survival, maybe fall in love, maybe have some babies, populate the species, all that stuff is pretty much what we thought of cavemen, cavemen and women doing, right? And right. so these ancients running around and, and doing things like not only just making art, but conceptualizing animation, right, is pretty remarkable. It's pretty cool. They've been doing stuff for thousands of years prior to this. Yeah, they exactly. This is the first thing they did when they popped up out of the, the um, between the rivers. They didn't just settle and all of a sudden start drawing animations. Like they had enough time, like thousands of years time to figure this stuff out. Yeah. That's what I and, love. And we tend to think that when, ev that everything you find 
if it's a piece of artwork from 12,000 years ago, that there is some, there has to be some sort of iconic sig significance to it. We, and yet not every piece of artwork we create today has any significance to it. So why would that necessarily be the rule? But then we also do the reverse where it couldn't possibly have connotations above and beyond. Like the connotations of this or the implications of it are that this is a technology, yeah, right? This is something somebody created and, and it, and it, it's, and it's, it thrives and lives in a way, right? Yeah. But it, the implications of it are that people were humanity. Humans were much smarter than we gave them credit for back right. then. We tend to think of intelligence as a recently new arrival on the scene, but I can personally vouch for the fact that is false. <laughs> if anything, we've just slid downhill ever yeah, since. We've but gotten stupider. Think about how clever humans are, though. What I've noticed, and I think this is a, a salient point that we could explore sometime, but limitation is actually often the best resource that you have for doing something innovative. That's true that, for me with books, man. Like I'm in the middle of a techno thriller and I can't quite figure things out yeah. because I can go in infinite number of directions, literally. And so I finally just said, you know what, I'm just going to pick one and this is the direction I'm going to go. Yeah. And everything that I write is going to fit into this one small box, but that's going to make the, the book, the story brilliant, I think, because it's, yeah. it's going to actually uh, ring true and check all these boxes that I wanted to check because it was limited, not because <laughs> I just let it kind of expand. Yeah. One of the things that my friend Bob and I, we have conversations about this stuff all the time. He's, he's very old school and, and about certain things and he, everything old is better. He's one of those guys. But we were talking about video games one time. Like there are, there's no question that there are some amazing video games now. But what my tendency is when I discover a game is that it's not as entertaining and engrossing as games were when I was like in my teens and twenties, when Nintendo, the, the original Nintendo came out. And the theory we have is that back at, in that period, Everything was limited, artwork and music, and you had to figure out how to do a lot with very little. Right. And because of that, you got extra creative. You had limited memory, for example. But then fast forward to a point where we have essentially an, as much RAM as we could ever want, and we have all the resources to do an infinite number of things, and people pay less attention to developing story for example, or doing anything truly creative, you can depict almost anything on screen now. So there's right. no real limitation to what you can do. And so to me, most games are boring or they get boring fast. Nothing right. is, I, nothing is as engrossing. Like I spent days playing Super Mario Brothers or Zelda, but I might spend 10 minutes playing a modern game because right. I get bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so oh, very true. Anyway, so that's the uh, earliest known form of yeah. Animation. I I love this. I think I'm imagining this is in a bowl. Yeah. And so I'm thinking you mentioned Lazy Susan. Obviously, not obviously, but I don't think they had Lazy Susans back then. Ball bearings and all that, but maybe. But I think, excuse me, this could be back then. I can. I'm already writing a story in my head about this clever engineering Da Vinci type guy. Who or girl? Who they all they have are cave paintings to depict how things work, right? Or how where to hunt or how to do things. And and I say cave paintings like tablets, stone, like drawings, yeah. static artwork, two dimensional. 
And this clever person comes along and says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make something that's impossible to misinterpret because I'm going to make it actually move. I'm going to tell a story and make it move. And he figured out that if you put this bowl and floated it on the water and then spun it, yeah, it would actually show you'd be like, Oh, wow, this makes sense. And then this was like a proof of concept. And then his, his cousin who, who always was nefarious and, uh, and, and cunning and, and always trying to, to one up him went and spun the bowl backwards and the gazelle put the apple back in the tree and then hopped back down and, and, and away. And everybody laughed at our lowly <laughs> engineer. And then this got discarded in, in, in favor of other ideas. I have this, whole, this whole theory that I just built up right now that I could just, but this is the kind of thing that I, I like. I like your, like that, right? like, you just gave a perfect example of like limitation leading to innovation. Like you came up with the idea of floating it on water and spinning it around on water. Cause I'm like, he knows that it could spin, but how do I spin it fast? I can't get my hand to do it fast enough. Right. You know? That's to me, that's a brilliant idea. What I, mean, I perfect, right. Just put it in a puddle of water. Cause, cause you, everybody's got water. You have to live next yeah. to water. So there's always going to be a water source. Have a little basin. And if you're a potter, you have things like this, right? Fill that with water, put yeah. this on it, let it float, spin it around. You've got animation. That's and just, this is a perfect business model. Cause everyone has to live next to water and everybody's probably got bowls that can still be used as bowls. This doesn't ruin the bowl. Like he can, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's, it's functional and, art. And, yeah. I was actually thinking, because I watch I watch a lot of DIY and craft stuff on YouTube, and there's a woman who, um, she buys things from Dollar Tree okay. and does like creative uh, oh, organization yeah, and stuff. Her, yeah. I was telling you about this in Oklahoma, but one of the things she did that I thought was kind of neat was she took she bought two, uh, a set of two cake pans or uh, baking pans, little round ones. And then she bought, uh, they had a pack of like fake pearls. Okay. okay. What she did was she broke the string on the pearls and let them all fall into the, the bottom pan and put the top pan on top of it. And she puts that in her in her pantry and puts things on it. And it's a makeshift lazy Susan. It just oh yeah spins uh -huh. around on its own. So you see, there's ways to do this. Right. Imagine yeah. you got two two pots and or you've got a, a pan full of pebbles and you put the jar on that and it would it's been around. around. It also provide its own soundtrack as well. And it have its own musical, <laughs> its own score. Well, anyway, speaking of uh, soundtracks, no, actually, that's that terrible sounds like a segue. Nothing to do with uh, with my topic whatsoever. But I I did tell you before the show that I have never been more excited about a topic. You did um, say that, and I this is just blows my mind, man. There's so much here to unpack. I can't wait to talk about it. Got into this by reading. I was reading some science fiction. A friend of mine, Douglas E. Richards, writes a bunch of thrillers that are... I, the one I'm reading now is firmly sci-fi, aliens and all that. But he writes a lot of like future future thriller, techno-thriller type stuff. In this book, he he mentions this, and I thought immediately, just dropped my Kindle and grabbed my phone. I'm like, I gotta Google this. There's no way this is real. It is real, okay? Stuff that's yeah. real, folks. We wouldn't lie to you here, would we? I'm gonna just talk about this, and then I'll tell you why it's actually even more fascinating than it sounds at first at first hearing. But we're going to talk about chicken sexing, and it is not maybe what you think. <laughs> yeah, no saxophone in the background, none of that, none of that. No, this is is not sex with chickens. It's the sex of chickens and yeah. the determining thereof. So <clears throat> this article that I'm sharing in the show notes, I love the first line. This is great. This is good journalism right here. A chicken, says Jacqueline Jacob, a poultry science expert with the University of Kentucky, does not have a penis male or female okay so let's just get that out of the way right off the bat well wait chicken means that it is female no okay they're using chicken in the just like 
tortoises can be turtles kind of thing, like the larger, broader sense. Okay. But she's a poultry science expert, and this is a direct quote. She says, a chicken does not have a penis. She's not saying a, a hen. She's saying yeah. just any kind of chicken. So hens and roosters, all them, they're both they're chickens, right? And this, just, let me just okay. get that out of the way. Okay, Kevin? Just, they're all chickens. Okay, all right. Male, female, they're calling them all chickens. Um, I may have learned something so, new today. All right, good. <laughs> apparently, in the United States, this egg industry is pretty big. They call it an egg complex. We got to generate 100 billion eggs from about 370 million hens, the female chicken, of course. That's a lot of that's a lot of eggs. I can't really fathom that many eggs, but it's a lot. That's about and what I eat daily. When a chicken is born, is hatched from an egg, it's very important to know whether or not it's male or female. Because if it's going to be a rooster, we need, we need it to do roosterly things. And if it's going to be a hen, we need it to do hen things. And so one of the things that we've always needed to do, we've eaten eggs for a long time probably our boy drawn some stuff on a bowl was eating some eggs at the time so yeah we had some eggs in there while he was spinning around so that bowl was filled with scrambled eggs filled, just covered <laughs> scrambled eggs. Um, he hadn't invented the fork yet so it was a little awkward but <clears throat> this idea of chicken sexing um is, is an old i'm trying to see when it actually became a thing but Basically, what it is, the process of determining whether or not a chicken is a male or female when it's hatched. The quicker we can do it, the quicker we can funnel them into the right places and we can produce our eggs. That sounds fine. The funny part of this is that's somebody's job, right? This is a big deal in the poultry industry. And here's why it's a big deal. Now, we can, of course, like scientifically, biologically, go put it in a lab and figure out if it's a male or female, but that's cost prohibitive. Much better if we can just pick it up and look at it. But again, there's no differentiating factor in a chick. They all look exactly the same. Yeah. Except for people who are chicken sexers. These people can look at them and identify almost immediately whether or not it's a male or female chicken. And that is called chicken sexing. And the reason this is really crazy is that people who are chicken sexers do not know why they can determine the sex of the male or female. They have no idea. Like cognitively, there's no sense that they know what they're doing yeah. okay they just pick up a chick and they look at it and they know if it's a male or female with 98 percent accuracy and i say 98 percent accuracy with a big asterisk because the way they're measuring this isn't you have all the time you need pick up your chicken let me know if it's male or female and then we'll test you at the they're going through 500 chicks in a minute and getting 98 percent accuracy yeah this is pretty cool because again they don't know how they're doing it but they also can train other chicken sexers. And it, it's not a hard skill to pick up. So, so, what'd you say? And how do you do that if you don't know? That's the like, that's How do you the train them to do something? That's why people know. are like, scientists are like looking at this. There's like neuroscientists studying these guys. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like it takes a special person to become a chicken sexer. All you need is a chicken sexer to teach you what they're doing. And all. They basically just pick up chicks and say male or female, and eventually you get it, and you are a chicken sexer. It's Which, just just mind blowing. In some certain counties in Texas, though, them's fighting words. Well, that's, 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 <laughs> but yeah, but no, this things. is yeah, this is fascinating. It's crazy, I, uh, man. So basically, the yeah, so it can be taught the Zen Nippon Chick Sexing School in Japan. This it all came from Japan. The Japanese were the first to figure this out. At least turn it into a to an industry. Sounds about right. Because they can process more poultry and say, hey, we got these people that can tell right away that these are female chicks or pullets is what they call them, or male cockerels. 
And uh, anyway, they, so, so basically Japan became this like poultry industry, like shining star. Here's what it says after that, the central pedagogical aspect. So the way of teaching, the way of teaching this thing was and remains to this day, quick repetition over a focused period of time. That's it. There, there's no like special, let's look at this. Let's examine the beak. Let's turn the thing over and poke around. Like it, the sexer just has to become proficient at immediately. And this keyword unthinkingly recognizing the chicken's vent shapes of which there are hundreds of slight variations. I don't even know what that means, but apparently they just look at these things and they know right away if it's a male or female. Interesting. That's so, very interesting. Just crazy, man. This is insane um, to me because it's this, it's, there's just so much to it. First of all, that this career is a career. Second of all, that they've made it like the, like a wine sommelier kind of class in Japan and, and put these guys on such a high pedestal, but also that they can export this. They now have chicken sectors that go to different countries back in the uh, 30s and 40s, they sent one of these Japanese chicken sexers named Koichi Ando. He spent five months in Yorkshire, uh, England, teaching employees at a hatchery this skill. And it says turning Yorkshire into an unlikely center of chicken sexing expertise while significantly boosting the count, the country's poultry production. So the faster you can figure this out, the more stuff you can, the more eggs and chickens and all that you can produce. It's crazy, man. They've studied this stuff now. They, they have... Um, I guess places in America where they actually will test you and how fast you can go. And one visiting chicken sexer wowed a classroom as he sexed 1,400 chicks in an hour with a 98% accuracy rate. Before that, the best anyone had ever seen was about 400 birds an hour with an accuracy rate of only 85%. Womp womp. Yeah. Yeah, this is the, the, it's just crazy to me because I've heard that like in the sommelier world, cigar aficionados, whiskey <laughs> tasters, master blenders, right? All these people are very well trained, but they also have a specific taste that like they're super, they're considered super tasters that a lot of pe most people <laughs> aren't. I don't like, I'm not. And so I don't, I would never be able to taste the difference between some of these blends. Right. Reportedly, there are people who can taste that. So um, these are not those people. These are just any people you can become, yeah. you and I could go become chicken sexers, dude. Want to. It's interesting. This is very interesting. I love them. Right, right. They're cute and cuddly. I want to go squeeze them. <laughs> so, one of the several things keep coming to mind other things i've read about and experienced i i had actually at some point i i remember reading something about this concept right of course but of course you do i do i remember this coming up at some point but i think like on an npr or something yeah. but um uh, the thing that came to mind immediately is i'm, I'm reading uh the biography of leonardo da vinci right now Walter Isaacson's. Oh, yeah. I need to pick, I need to do that one. Yeah. Totally read it. It's, it's, I'm listening to it. It's actually being read by Alfred Molina. No Doc way. Ock yeah. from Spider Man. I just watched that a couple nights ago, the new one. But the one of the things that they have bumped up against is uh, in identifying some of Leonardo's work in modern day. There's there until recently, there hasn't been a lot of like scientific tools available that were reliable enough to help identify his work. So there's a lot of stuff out there that some people think may be Leonardo, but it's not, or uh, they haven't, they can't prove it or whatever. And a lot of it relied on connoisseurs. That was their primary method of identifying work. So people who studied, lived with, and just consumed everything Leonardo did so that they could glance at a painting and tell you that's Leonardo. And for mm -hmm. a good century or so, that's how we 
that's who we turn to to identify this. Unfortunately, in the past couple of decades, three or four decades, um, a lot of things have come along. Science has come along that's been slowly disproving most of those assertions. Okay. So they're not as good at it as uh, they claim, but there's still those people who are like savants at it, who are who can look at a painting. So most people, it's that Dunning Kruger thing, right? A yeah. lot of people will say, "I'm an expert. You can trust my opinion because I've spent millions of dollars on Da Vinci artwork, and yeah. I know it." But but like 99% of them are completely wrong. But the right. 1% of these people who can glance at a painting across a room, a, a dimly lit room at that and say, that's a Da Vinci or that's a Monet that's a, that's or whatever. A fraud. Like they yeah. can, yeah. Or that's fake. Malcolm uh, Gladwell talked about that in his book blink where yeah. he's talking, you know, you just, these curators, some of these museum curators in the snap of a finger would know. Yeah. This is a forgery, but they didn't know why they knew they just could tell. This is yeah, funny. you just get a you get a gut instinct. I remember reading that. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And now the success rate of the people doing the chicken sexing is phenomenal, like 98%. And it's a transferable skill, but you can't quantify it. I, that makes no sense to me. That reminds me a little bit of the there was a whole study of uh London cab drivers, and I'm sure the same mm -hmm. thing applies to New York cab drivers, but they after driving their route for a very short time, after driving the city for a very short time, they had an instinctual knowledge and never referred to maps. A very short time. Yeah, yeah. they've been doing this for a week. And wasn't that um, Atomic Habits and James Clear talk about that? I don't I remember recently recall, reading that. I'm thinking the, the book that we both read recently. Yeah. Again, that could be maybe because um, he's talking about the synapses in the brain, the yeah. connections being stronger and strengthened and all that. Yeah. So you get this innate knowledge. It's intuitive. You can't even explain it to anybody. And the, what was weird was like they would ask someone, they would ask a cabbie. So how do I get to such and such? And if they weren't behind the wheel of the cab, they couldn't tell you like they could drive it. But they couldn't give you the direction. They didn't know the names of the streets and all that. They just knew yeah. where things were. Yeah. They just exactly. knew how to get there. Oh, you want 3400, you know, Downing Street. Let's go. <laughs> and you're there in you know yeah. 10 minutes. But if you were to ask them to write those directions down, they or to tell you verbally, they couldn't do, couldn't it. do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. It's crazy to me. All this stuff is embedded in this this topic of kind of the subconscious mind and that there's this whole other plane that we can't really access actively but it's yeah. there and our subconscious is pushing things through to our conscious mind so we don't even know where it comes from we don't even know why we can look at a chicken and know it's a male or female yeah. um but we can or some people can and and we just go with it you know yeah um, that's kind of the the kind of knowledge i want to have about fighting skills like i want to be able to just <laughs> whip out kung fu whenever i want i'm not there so, yet but the thing is one of the things that has always fascinated me is the idea of the accidental savant. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is some, something happens, a trauma or, or some event happens. Someone has a stroke or a head injury or a near death experience. And they immediately shift to this skill set they shouldn't have. Right. Yeah. And examples of this are bizarre. Like some, there's a woman who had like a stroke and when she recovered from it could 
speak like several languages fluently that she'd never studied. Never actually had learned. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, how does that happen? And I am a big believer in a sort of collective unconscious. I think there's a sort of layer of quantum based knowledge out there that we all instinctively have access to sometimes. And that's responsible for things like premonitions and intuitions and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I also think though, that our minds are there's components to the way we think that are much more developed or much more have much more potential power than we realize. And that, it, and because when you start like looking into this stuff, like there are people who've trained themselves to be, uh, to have an eidetic memory, for example, which is something I just so want. I know. I know. <laughs> like I just want to just glance at a page of text and recall it word, yeah. you know, verbatim 10 years, ten, later. Ten years yeah. later or whatever. Like I just so want that. But people have learned how to train themselves to do things like that. I just think that there's just so much more potential. St stories like this one, the chicken sexing, as as weird as it may seem and even funny as it may seem, like it it hints at human potential that we <laughs> there's a human potential here like the sort of same human potential that could create an animation on a bowl 5,000 years ago it's just uh it's just fascinating to me i'm getting worked up i do that so. i love it no i think it's, it's that's why i, th I knew you were gonna love this one i'm, I'm I like love reading about it, i'm like what there's people that do wait what they they don't know how they're doing wait what they can train other people and it doesn't take a special savant to be able to do i it. love that it just so it just says so much about the potential of humanity that we are there's so much cynicism in the world and people they want to shut down anything that's beyond their mundane experience and they can be like bill i watched the whole thing with bill is it bill mayor or bill maher, bill maher yeah. uh <laughs> I like that guy. I don't agree with him politically on on much, but he he's an atheist and he says some pretty insulting things about God. And I happen to believe in God. And but I'm listening to him, I'm like, in one breath, he'll talk about how there is no imaginary made up friend in the sky, and then in the next breath, he talks about the wonders of human yeah. potential or whatever. And I'm like, right. to me, they're all commingled. That's all part of the same, of course, yeah, glorious mystery of reality but yeah no i'm with you man i love it Let me just stuff. shove that soapbox aside i'll just step down here <laughs> among you mundane normal people <laughs> wow, it's all good stuff man this yeah this is exactly why i wanted to bring it up because i knew there'd be you'd have some interesting thoughts about that but absolutely uh, if anyone's interested in reading more of course we've got the show notes uh down there for you i highly recommend filling up your browser search history with chicken sexing it is a fun way. It's a fun conversation to have with the NSA. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> share it with your wife. Um, Show your kids. Share, share with your wife. <laughs> you better do it in a private tab. So there's some question of why you'd be having to hide it. Oh, yeah. That doesn't make it uh, any more creepy at all. That's not <laughs> <laughs> doing exactly. it in the while you're locked in the bathroom on a private yes, browser yeah, exactly. tab. Yeah. No, I no, just nothing disturbing there. Just looking up chicken me. sexing. <clears throat> oh yeah so anyway that's chicken sexing and ancient animation for you didn't think those would be combined and in, into a perfectly crafted episode but you would be wrong dear yeah, listener you are wrong we did it we, we did it we pulled that off if anyone can do it it's possibly us <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know how we're going to top that one but we will try next week we'll bring you even more stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool on your favorite podcast. So thanks for listening and we'll be right back in your ear hole next week. Talk soon, everyone. Take care. Stuff that's real.